Chapter One of the Papers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas Clifford, Middlebury, Vermont. The Papers by Henry James. Chapter One. There was a longish period, the dense duration of a London winter, cheered, if cheered it could be called, with lurid electric with fierce incandescent flares and glares when they repeatedly met at feeding time in a small and not quite savoury pothouse a stone's throw from the strand they talked always of pothouses of feeding time by which they meant any hour between one and four of the afternoon they talked of most things even of some of the greatest in a manner that gave or that they desired to show as giving in respect to the conditions of their life the measure of their detachment, their contempt, their general irony. Their general irony, which they tried at the same time to keep gay and to make amusing, at least to each other, was their refuge from the want of savour, the want of napkins, the want too often of shillings, and of many things besides that they would have liked to have. Almost all they had with any security was their youth, complete, admirable, very nearly invulnerable, or as yet inattackable, for they didn't count their talent, which they had originally taken for granted, and had since then lacked freedom of mind, as well as need of any offensive reason, to reappraise. They were taken up with other questions and other estimates, the remarkable limits, for instance, of their luck, the remarkable smallness of the talent of their friends. They were above all, in that phase of youth, and in that state of aspiration in which luck is the subject of most frequent reference as definite as the colour red and in which it is the elegant name for money when people are as refined as they are poor she was only a suburban young woman in a sailor hat and he a young man destitute in strictness of occasion for a topper but they felt that they had in a peculiar way the freedom of the town and the town, if it did nothing else, gave a range to the spirit. They sometimes went on excursions that they groaned at as professional, far afield from the strand, but the curiosity with which they came back was almost greater than any other, the strand being for them, with its ampler alternative Fleet Street, overwhelmingly the papers, and the papers being, at a rough guess, all the furniture of their consciousness. The daily press played for them the part played by the embowered nest on the swaying bough for the parent birds that scour the air. It was, as they mainly saw it, a receptacle, owing its form to the instinct more remarkable, as they held the journalistic, than that even of the most highly organized animal, into which, regularly, breathlessly, contributions had to be dropped, odds and ends, all grist to the mill, all somehow digestible and convertible, all conveyed with the promptest possible beak and the flutter, often, of dreadfully fatigued little wings. If there had been no papers, there would have been no young friends for us of the figure we hit at, no chance mates, innocent and weary, yet acute even to penetration, who were apt to push off their plates and rest their elbows on the table in the interval between the turnover of the pint-pot and the call for the awful glibness of their score. Maud Blandy drank beer, and welcome, as one may say, 
and she smoked cigarettes when privacy permitted, though she drew the line at this in the right place, just as she flattered herself she knew how to draw it, journalistically, where other delicacies were concerned. She was fairly a product of the day, so fairly that she might have been born afresh each morning to serve, after the fashion of certain agitated ephemeral insects, only till the morrow. It was as if a past had been wasted on her, and a future were not to be fitted. She was really herself, so far at least as her great preoccupation went, an addition, an extra special, coming out of the loud hours and living its life amid the roar of vehicles, the hustle of pavements, the shriek of newsboys, according to the quantity of shock to be administered, thanks to the varying temper of Fleet Street, to the nerves of the nation. Maud was a shocker, in short, in petticoats and alike for the thoroughfare, the club, the suburban train and the humble home though it must honestly be added that petticoats were not of her essence. This was one of the reasons, in an age of emancipations, of her intense actuality, as well as, positively, of a good fortune to which, however impersonal she might have appeared, she was not herself in a position to do full justice. The felicity of her having about her, naturally, so much of the young bachelor that she was saved the disfigurement of any marked straddling or elbowing. It was literally true of her that she would have pleased less, or at least have offended more, had she been obliged or been prompted to assert, all too vainly, as it would have been sure to be, her superiority to sex. Nature, constitution, accident, whatever we happen to call it, had relieved her of this care. The struggle for life, the competition with men, the taste of the day, the fashion of the hour, had made her superior, or had at any rate made her indifferent, and she had no difficulty in remaining so. The thing was therefore, with the aid of an extreme general flatness of person, directness of step, and simplicity of motive, quietly enough done, without a grace, a weak in consequence, a stray reminder to interfere with a success, and it is not too much to say that the success, by which I mean the plainness of the type, would probably have never struck you as so great as at the moments of our young lady's chance comradeship with Howard Bight. For the young man, though his personal signs had not, like his friends, especially the effect of one of the stages of an evolution, might have been noted as not so fiercely or so freshly a male as to distance Maud in the show. She presented him, in truth, while they sat together, as comparatively girlish. She fell naturally into gestures, tones, expressions, resemblances, that he either supposed from sensibility to her personal predominance, or that were merely latent in him through much taking for granted. Mild, sensitive, none too solidly nourished, and condemned, perhaps by a deep delusion as to the final issue of it, to perpetual coming and going, he was so resigned to many things, and so disgusted even with many others, that the least of his cares was the cultivation of a bold front. What mainly concerned him was its being bold enough to get him his dinner, and it was never more void of aggression than when he solicited in person those scraps of information, snatched at those floating particles of news, on which his dinner depended. Had he had time a little more to try his case, he would have made out that if he liked Maud Blandy, it was partly by the impression of what she could do for him, 
what she could do for herself had never entered into his head the positive quantity moreover was vague to his mind it existed that is for the present but as the proof of how in spite of the want of encouragement a fellow could keep going she struck him in fact as the only encouragement he had and this altogether by example since precept frankly was deterrent on her lips as speech was free judgment prompt an accent not absolutely pure the point was that as the easiest thing to be with her he was so passive that it almost made him graceful and so attentive that it almost made him distinguished she was herself neither of these things and they were not of course what a man had most to be whereby she contributed to their common view the impatiences required by a proper reaction forming thus for him a kind of protective hedge behind which he could wait much waiting for either was i hasten to add always in order inasmuch as their novitiate seemed to them interminable and the steps of their ladder fearfully far apart it rested the ladder against the great stony wall of the public attention a sustaining mass which apparently wore somewhere in the upper air a big thankless expressionless face a countenance equipped with eyes ears an uplifted nose and a gaping mouth all convenient if they could only be reached the latter groaned meanwhile swayed and shook with the weight of the close-pressed climbers tier upon tier occupying the upper the middle the nethermost rounds and quite preventing for young persons placed as our young friends were placed any view of the summit it was meanwhile moreover only howard bite's perverse view he was confessedly perverse that miss blandy had arrived at a perch superior to his own she had hitherto recognized in herself indeed but a tighter clutch and a grimmer purpose she had recognized she believed in keen moments a vocation she had recognized that there had been eleven of them at home with herself as youngest and distinctions by that time so blurred in her that she might as easily have been christened john she had recognized truly most of all that if they came to talk they both were nowhere yet this was compatible with her insisting that howard had as yet comparatively had the luck when he wrote to people they consented or at least they answered almost always for that matter they answered with greed so that he was not without something of some sort to hawk about to buyers specimens indeed of human greed the greed the great one the eagerness to figure the snap at the bait of publicity he had collected in such store as to stock as to launch a museum in this museum the prize object the high rare specimen had been for some time established a celebrity of the day enjoying uncontested a glass case all to himself more conspicuous than any other before which the arrested visitor might rebound from surprised recognition sir a b c beadle muffet k c b m p stood forth there as large as life owing indeed his particular place to the shade of direct acquaintance with him that howard bite could boast yet with his eminent presence in such a collection but too generally and notoriously justified he was universal and ubiquitous commemorated under some rank rubric on every page of every public print every day in every year and as inveterate a feature of each issue of any self-respecting sheet as the name the date the tariffed advertisements 
he had always done something or was about to do something round which the honours of announcement clustered and indeed as he had inevitably thus become a subject of fallacious report one half of his chronicle appeared to consist of official contradiction of the other half his activity if it had not been better been called his passivity was beyond any other that figured in the public eye for no other assuredly knew so few or such brief intermittences yet as there was the inside as well as the outside view of his current history the quantity of it was easy to analyse for the possessor of the proper crucible howard bite with his arms on the table took it apart and put it together again most days in the year so that an amused comparison of notes on the subject often added a mild spice to his colloquies with maud blandy they knew the young pair as they considered many secrets but they liked to think they knew none quite so scandalous as the way that to put it roughly this distinguished person maintained his distinction it was known certainly to all who had to do with the papers a brotherhood a sisterhood of course interested for what was it in the last resort but the interest of their bread and butter in shrouding the approaches to the oracle in not telling tales out of school they all lived alike on the solemnity the sanctity of the oracle and the comings and goings the doings and the undoings the intentions and retractions of sir a b c beadle muffet k c b m p were in their degree a part of that solemnity the papers taken together the glory of the age were though superficially multifold fundamentally one so that any revelation of their being procured or procurable to float an object not intrinsically buoyant would very logically convey discredit from the circumference where the revelation would likely to be made to the centre of so much as this our grim neophytes in common with a thousand others were perfectly aware but something in the nature of their wit such as it was or in the condition of their nerves such as it easily might become sharpened almost to acerbity their relish of so artful an imitation of the voice of fame the fame was all voice as they could guarantee who had an ear always glued to the speaking-tube the items that made the sum were individually of the last vulgarity but the accumulation was a triumph one of the greatest the age could show of industry and vigilance it was after all not true that a man who had done nothing for ten years had so fed so diked and directed and distributed the fitful sources of publicity he had laboured in his way like a navvy with a spade he might be said to have earned by each night's work the reward each morning of his small spurt of glory even for such a matter as its not being true that sir a b c beadle muffet k c p m p was to start on his visit to the sultan of samarkand on the twenty-third but being true that he was to start on the twenty-ninth the personal attention required was no small affair taking the legend with the fact the myth with the meaning the original artless error with a subsequent earnest truth allowing in fine for the statement still to come that the visit would have to be relinquished in consequence of the visitor's other pressing engagements and bearing in mind the countless channels to be successively watered our young man one december afternoon pushed an evening paper across to his companion keeping his thumb on a paragraph at which he glanced without eagerness 
she might from her manner have known by instinct what it would be and her exclamation had the note of satiety oh he's working them now if he has begun he'll work them hard by the time that has gone round the world there'll be something else to say we are authorized to state that the marriage of miss miranda beadle muffet to captain guy devereux of the fiftieth rifles will not take place authorized to state rather when every wire in the machine has been pulled over and over they're authorized to state something every day in the year and the authorization is not difficult to get only his daughters now that they're coming on poor things and i believe there are many will have to be chucked into the pot and produced when other matter fails how pleasant for them to find themselves hurtling through the air clubbed by the paternal hand like golf balls in a suburb not that i suppose they don't like it why should one suppose anything of the sort howard bite's impression of the general appetite appeared to-day to be especially vivid and he and his companion were alike prompted to one of those slightly violent returns on themselves and the work they were doing which none but the vulgar-minded altogether avoid people as i see them would almost rather be jabbered about unpleasantly than not be jabbered about at all whenever you try them whenever at least i do i'm confirmed in that conviction it isn't only that if one holds out the mere tip of the perch they jump at it like starving fish it is that they leap straight out of the water themselves leap in their thousands and come flopping open-mouthed and goggle-eyed to one's very door what is the sense of the french expression about a person's making des yeux de carpe it suggests the eyes that a young newspaper man seems to see all round him and i declare i sometimes feel that if one has the courage not to blink at the show the guilt is a good deal rubbed off the gingerbread of one's early illusions they all do it as the song is at the music halls and it's some of one's surprises that tell the most you've thought there were some high souls that didn't do it that wouldn't i mean to work the oracle lift a little finger of their own but lord bless you give them a chance you'll find some of the greatest the greediest i give you my word for it i haven't a scrap of faith left in a single human creature except of course the young man added the grand creature that you are and the cold calm comprehensive one whom you thus admit to your familiarity we face the music we see we understand we know we've got to live and how we do it but at least like this alone together we take our intellectual revenge we escape the indignity of being fools dealing with fools i don't say we shouldn't enjoy it more if we were but it can't be helped we haven't the gift the gift i mean of not seeing we do the worst we can for the money you certainly do the worst you can maud blandy soon replied when you sit there with your wanton wiles and take the spirit out of me i require a working faith you know if one isn't a fool in our world where is one oh i say her companion groaned without alarm don't you fail me mind you they looked at each other across their clean platters and little as the light of romance seemed superficially to shine in them or about them the sense was visibly enough in each of being involved in the other he would have been sharply alone the softly sardonic young man if the somewhat dry young woman hadn't affected him in a way he was even too nervous to put to the test as saving herself up for him 
and the consciousness of absent resources that was on her own side quite compatible with this economy grew a shade or two less dismal with the imagination of his somehow being at costs for her it wasn't an expense of shillings there was not much question of that what it came to was perhaps nothing more than that being as he declared himself in the know he kept pulling her in too as if there had been room for them both he told her everything all his secrets he talked and talked often making her think of herself as a lean stiff person destitute of skill or art but with ear enough to be performed to sometimes strangely touched at moments completely ravished by a fine violinist he was her fiddler and genius she was sure neither of her taste nor of his tunes but if she could do nothing else for him she could hold the case while he handled the instrument it had never passed between them that they could draw nearer for they seemed near near verily for pleasure when each in a decent young life was so much nearer to the other than to anything else there was no pleasure known to either that wasn't further off what held them together was in short that they were in the same boat a cockle-shell in a great rough sea and that the movements required for keeping it afloat not only were what the situation safely permitted but also made for reciprocity and intimacy these talks over greasy white slabs repeatedly mopped with moist grey cloths by young women in black uniforms with inexorable braided buns in the nape of weak necks these sessions sometimes prolonged in halls of oilcloth among penal-looking tariffs and pyramids of scones enabled them to rest on their oars the more that they were on terms with the whole families chartered companies of food stations each a race of innumerable and indistinguishable members and had mastered those hours of comparative elegance the earlier and the later when the little weary ministrants were simply sitting down and the occupants of the red benches bleakly interspaced so it was that at times they renewed their understanding and by signs mannerless and meagre that would have escaped the notice of witnesses maud blandy had no need to kiss her hand across to him to show she felt what he meant she had moreover never in her life kissed her hand to any one and her companion couldn't have imagined it of her his romance was so grey that it wasn't romance at all it was a reality arrived at without stages shades forms if he had been ill or stricken she would have taken him other resources failing into her lap but would that which would scarce even have been motherly have been romantic she nevertheless at this moment put in her plea for the general element i can't help it about beadle muffet it's too magnificent it appeals to me and then i've a particular feeling about him i'm waiting to see what will happen it is genius you know to get yourself so celebrated for nothing to carry out your idea in the face of everything i mean your idea of being celebrated it isn't as if he had done even one little thing what has he done when you come to look why my dear chap he has done everything he has missed nothing he has been in everything of everything at everything over everything under everything that has taken place for the last twenty years he's always present and though he never makes a speech he never fails to get alluded to in the speeches of others that's doing it cheaper than any one else does it 
but it's thoroughly doing it, which is what we're talking about. And so far, the young man contended, far from its being in the face of anything, it's positively with the help of everything, since the papers are everything and more. They're made for such people, though no doubt he's the person who has known best how to use them. I've gone through one of the biggest sometimes, from beginning to end. It's quite a thrilling little game, to catch him once out. It has happened to me to think that I was near it when, on the last column of the last page, I count advertisements, heaven help us out, I found him as large as life and as true as the needle to the pole. But at last, in a way, it goes, it can't help going of itself. He comes in, he breaks out of himself, the letters under the compositor's hand form themselves from the force of habit into his name, any connection for it, any context, being as good as any other, and the wind which he has originally raised, but which continues to blow, setting perpetually in his favour. The thing would really be now, don't you see, for him to keep himself out. That would be, on my honour it strikes me, his getting himself out, the biggest fact in his record. The girl's attention, as her friend developed the picture, had become more present. He can't get himself out. There he is. She had a pause. She had been thinking. That's just my idea. Your idea? Well, an idea's always a blessing. What do you want for it? She continued to turn it over, as if weighing its value. Something, perhaps, could be done with it. Only it would take imagination. He wondered, and she seemed to wonder that he didn't see. Is it a situation for a ply? No, it's too good for a ply, yet it isn't quite good enough for a short story. It would do, then, for a novel? Well, I seem to see it, Maud said, and with a lot in it to be got out. But I seem to see it as a question not of what you or I might be able to do with it, but of what the poor man himself may. That's what I meant just now, she explained, by my having a creepy sense of what may happen for him. It has already more than once occurred to me. Then, she wound up, we shall have real life, the case itself. Do you know you've got imagination? Her friend, rather interested, appeared by this time to have seized her thought. I see him having some reason, very imperative, to seek retirement, lie low, to hide, in fact, like a man wanted, but pursued all the while by the lurid glare that he has himself so started and kept up, and at last literally devoured, like Frankenstein, of course, by the monster he has created. I say you have got it and the young man flushed, visibly, artistically, with the recognition of elements which his eyes had for a minute earnestly fixed. But it will take a lot of doing. Oh, said Maud, we shan't have to do it. He'll do it himself. I wonder, Howard Bight really wondered, the fun would be for him to do it for us. I mean for him to want us to help him somehow to get out. Oh, us, the girl mournfully sighed. Why not, when he comes to us to get in? Maud Blandy stared. Do you mean to you personally? You surely know by this time that no one ever comes to me. Why, I went to him in the first instance. I made up to him straight. I did him at home, somewhere, as I've surely mentioned to you before, three years ago. He liked, I believe, for he's really a delightful old ass, the way I did it. He knows my name and has my address, 
and has written me three or four times since with his own hand a request to be so good as to make use of my he hopes still close connection with the daily press to rectify the rumour that he has reconsidered his opinion on the subject of the blanket supplied to the upper tooting workhouse infirmary he has reconsidered his opinion on no subject whatever which he mentions in the interest of historic truth without further intrusion on my valuable time and he regards that sort of thing as a commodity that i can dispose of thanks to my close connection for several shillings and can you not for several pence they're all tariffed but he's tariffed low having a value apparently that money doesn't represent he's always welcome but he isn't always paid for the beauty however is in his marvellous memory his keeping us all so apart and not muddling the fellow to whom he has written that he hasn't done this that or the other with the fellow to whom he has written that he has he'll write to me again some day about something else about his alleged position on the date of the next school treat of the chelsea cabins orphanage i shall seek a market for the precious item and that will keep us in touch so that if the complication you have the sense of in your bones does come into play the thought's too beautiful he may once more remember me fancy his coming to one with a what can you do for me now bite lost himself in the happy vision it gratified so his cherished consciousness of the irony of fate a consciousness so cherished that he never could write ten lines without use of the words maud showed however at this point a reserve which appeared to have grown as the possibility opened out i believe in it it must come it can't not it's the only end he doesn't know nobody knows the simple mind at all only you and i know but it won't be nice remember it won't be funny it will be pitiful there'll have to be a reason for his turning around the young man nursed the vision more or less i see what you mean but except for a ply will that so much matter his reason will concern himself what will concern us will be his funk and his helplessness his having to stand there in the blaze with nothing and nobody to put it out we shall see him shrieking for a bucket of water wither up in the central flame her look had turned sombre it makes one cruel that it makes you i mean our trade does i dare say i see too much but i'm willing to chuck it well she presently replied i'm not willing to but it seems pretty well on the cards that i shall have to i don't see too much i don't see enough so for all the good it does me she had pushed back her chair and was looking round for her umbrella why what's the matter howard bite too blankly inquired she met his eyes while she pulled on her rusty old gloves well i'll tell you another time he kept his place still lounging contented where she had again become restless don't you call it seeing enough to see to have so luridly revealed to you the doom of beadle muffet oh he's not my business he's yours you're his man or one of his men he'll come back to you besides he's a special case and as i say i'm too sorry for him that's a proof then of what you do see her silence for a moment admitted it though evidently she was making for herself a distinction which she didn't express 
i don't then see what i want what i require and he she added if he does have some reason will have to have an awfully strong one to be strong enough it will have to be awful you mean he'll have done something yes that may remain undiscovered if he can only drop out of the papers sit for a while in darkness you'll know what it is you'll not be able to help yourself but i shan't want to for anything she had got up as she said it and as he sat looking at her thanks to her odd emphasis with an interest that as he also rose passed itself off as a joke ah then you sweet sensitive thing i promise to keep it from you End of chapter 1